Will you turn with me to Genesis uh, chapter 3, and we're going to go through uh, verses 8 through the end of the chapter. Just to remind you of last week, um, we read about the fall. This is when man and woman did what God had commanded them specifically not to do. They reached out and they took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This morning we find that they now know evil. They now have the knowledge of it. They didn't come by it by God's means. They came by it by their own means. And as we saw the language last week, the language of desire to reach out and to take, uh, we see that there are immense consequences to sin. And now the Lord is coming looking for His people in the garden. And so that's where we're going to open up this morning as He finds Adam and Eve, though they're not easily found at first. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word that you've put before us, Lord. The word that opens up uh, telling us of your creative power, of your will, of your goodness, of your holiness, Lord. And we find shortly thereafter that man has already rebelled. But you are a God who is gracious, who continues to speak to your people this morning by this word, this complete word that is given to us. And so, Lord, we pray from the reading and the preaching of the word that you indeed would speak, that your spirit, whom you've poured out on your church and your people, would give us ears and hearts to hear and understand and to know truth and to believe, and that most of all, your son would be glorified and magnified in our midst this morning, our only hope in the midst of a world that has fallen. We pray that Christ would be that hope for us this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let me read to you God's word beginning with verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree of life of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. And your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat 
the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. At the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? This morning, we will see in the immediate effect of the fall, the effect of sin in the garden is brought to bear on, uh, on both Eden, on the land, on the serpent, on man and woman. So we will consider three points. One, hiding from God. Two, the curse of sin. And three, the grace of God. First, the hiding from God. I remember in middle school, on the last day of class in the sixth grade, I got to spend the night at my friend's house, and we decided the day before that what we were going to do was ask his parents, can we walk to school the next morning? And they said, that'd be fine. He wasn't far from the school, and so we packed our bags, but not with our books. We packed it with snacks and treats, and we walked into the woods and never made it to school. His mother called the school thinking, I would just want to make sure that uh, Robbie and Nathan got to school okay, and they said, no, they haven't arrived. And so they spent the day calling my parents to come over to his house searching for us, and we we're in the woods, and we went back to the house because we needed more snacks, and we looked and saw that both my parents and his parents were gathered there. And so we came up with a plan. We walked back towards school, and there was a gas station just in front of the school, and we gathered up some trash from the trash can, and we sat there waiting, and his father drove up and said, Boys, where have you been? And we said, Well, we've been collecting trash for the uh, Adopt the Highway Club, and we're getting ready to go back to the school. He took me back to meet my father, and my father knew exactly what went on and took me to the principal to tell him everything. Our first plan was to hide, and that's where we find Adam and Eve in the midst of the garden hiding from God. You see, the first impact of sin in the lives of man and woman was to be ashamed. And their shame was not just before each other in their nakedness, but before God. And they heard the sound of God in the garden. And their first impulse on hearing that was to run and to go hide in the trees. You know, before this, hearing from God was entirely gracious and it was welcomed and it was good. He was the means by which they had every good thing. But now, because of what they've done, when they hear him, it stirs in them new feelings that they have never felt before. Is God safe? Is God angry with us? What about the thing God said that if we ate of it, we would surely die? Has he come to kill us? 
You see, sin has left them completely exposed, and you can see how it's fractured this relationship with the Father. And their little makeshift clothes that they have made is not enough to cover what they've done, and no tree will be safe to hide behind, at, at least yet at this point in redemptive history. God calls out, where are you? And they say, we were afraid when we heard you coming. We were naked, so we hid. And again, he asks the question, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? God's not playing dumb here. It's not as if he doesn't know what has happened, nor is he unaware of where they're hiding. But he's giving them a chance to come clean. You see, they're already exposed before the one who sees and knows everything. The immediate effect of sin has already wrecked their intellect. Perhaps they think if I blame someone else, I might get off the hook. Adam, you see what he first does? He, he blames Eve. The one you made, she, she gave me the fruit. And what does Eve do? but blames the serpent who deceived her. And in all their answers, they ultimately blame God. God, you made the woman, and she gave it to me. It's your fault. Eve, you made the serpent. That's who deceived me. It's your fault, God. I think you have some design flaws. You see, this is sin's M.O. Hide it. Conceal it. Cover your shame if you can, but never speak of it and never confess it. Isn't it telling that verse 8, it says they hide from the presence of God. As if God's not in all places at all times. Have you ever caught yourself looking over your shoulder to see if someone's watching? If only we had the sense, as Hebrews 4 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Sin and guilt would have us pass the blame to anyone but ourselves if we could just avoid the consequences. Our sin is our own and no amount of covering that we would make or hiding could ever change that reality. It's very common today. I see it. Uh, you know, there are plenty of memes that are funny. There are plenty of memes that might be motivating. I have a, a friend. Um, she uh, is seeking hard to cover her sin in a way that is ever too popular today. She seeks to cover her sin with a plan or a post or daily self-pep uh, talks and self-love. And she used to know and love the Savior with a deep joy and serve Him, but after she moved in with her boyfriend and that relationship utterly caused her deep pain, and she now lives by herself. She seeks to self-repair, self-motivate, and post these posts that, that, that are like pulling myself up by the bootstraps, going to get through this day. 
And all the while, you can watch it. You can see her anxiety grow and her efforts fall short. Because this isn't healing. It's hiding. The very thing that she needs is to draw close to her Lord and close to her Savior. See, the voice in your head or the the therapeutic methods will never hide what needs to be exposed. Straightforward, specific confession of sin in the presence of God, not to run and hide from it. Where are you, he asks. And what have you done? Sin has made mankind mistrust the presence of God and fear Him as judge. But Psalm 32, 5 teaches us that you can't conceal it. It says, I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you, listen to this, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Repentance is not a word yet known in this narrative. It's something that must be taught, must be learned. Let me tell you, repentance doesn't blame others or objects or God, but you can blame your own heart. Just as Eve, I desired and I took, I looked and I saw the sinful things as good. The presence of God is redeemed in God's action toward them. He will be both to them a God who is perfect in His judgment and gracious in His salvation. But for now, we find them hiding and blaming and fearing. Paradoxically, the Gospel does call us to cast our sins on another The gospel calls us not to hide among the trees, but to hide behind a tree. But it it isn't by uh, us concealing or hiding or covering up our sin, but by naming it and hiding behind the cross as the tree of salvation. We're going to do two things in the last two points God will teach us judgment and show us grace in what unfolds next we're going to look at first the curse of sin as our second point hiding won't work there's a deep and a lasting consequence of sin and we're going to look uh, through uh, verses um, 14 through the end through 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 two different lenses the first lens being that of judgment and we'll go back and look through the lens of grace And grace is best understood if we first understand judgment. If we first understand what the issue is. Like any prophet who warns of judgment, he does so to make grace that much sweeter. Know the disease if you want the the cure. God addresses each person in the fall. He starts with the serpent. Satan is cursed above all. He's been cast out of heaven already, and there is no hope here or anywhere else in the Word of God of his restoration. This is a part of his fall. 
And the serpent particularly isn't so much an indication uh, here when it says that now you're going to crawl this, this curse upon him, that you're going to crawl upon your belly, that snakes used to have feet and, and go along the way. But instead, what is being pictured here is the complete and utter humiliation of Satan. The lowest on its belly, licking the dirt, Satan will be humiliated as a part of the curse. He may be ruler of this world in one sense, but he will crawl and he will eat dust. He may have tried to elevate himself above mankind, but he will be cast down. It will be a horror, and one should be utterly revolted by him. The same way my mother is, we don't even uh, have to uh, have anything in our hand. If we just walk into the room and say, Marmy, we've got something we want to show you. She, kids, do they, does she not? She runs out of the room screaming. If we could just have that sense about our own sin and about the serpent, about Satan. To be revolted by the very thought of it and of him. God also indicates that there will be enmity between the serpent, verse 15, and the offspring of the woman. Indicating that there will be an ongoing battle between mankind and the serpent. Sin will be a lifetime of struggle. It will be a struggle that we all experience. You aren't alone in your struggle. The seats beside you are filled with people that are struggling with their sin. We're not alone. Though Satan would have us feel as if we were. Even after we come to Christ in our salvation, the battle, this part of the curse will rage in us between our flesh and the new life we have in the Spirit. In fact, Ephesians 6 goes at great lengths to describe this battle, this warfare, that we must always be armed and ready against, for we are to wear the armor of God as the war wages on. Again, this alludes to uh, the kind of clothes that we are to wear. You know, clothes is a, is a theme in this section that God provides us with. This is the, the curse of sin. That we will remain in this battle until Christ returns. It's exhausting. Day after day, the very thing that you don't want to do, you find yourself doing. It's exhausting. It's the curse. It's the fall. As I ponder this reality of the fall, I find it maybe you, you, you feel the same way. Far too often you aren't prepared for the battle. And we can have such a great confidence in what God has promised and has done in His Son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation that we sit back and go, it is won. It is finished. I can set down my sword and put down my shield and I don't have to fight. Brothers and sisters, the fall has caused this strife to continue until you cease to live or Christ comes back. This enmity that is described exists in your very body. And it is far too often we lay down the weapons of war when Satan is firing his fiery arrows. This is the battle God describes in Satan's offspring and God's offspring. This battle is a part of the curse and God then moves to tell the woman another aspect, another effect of sin on her will be painful. Is sin any kind of friend so far? Enmity? Painful? 
that physically she will bear children in pain. It's going to hurt. The process of fulfilling the mandate of filling the earth will be filled with pain. And it won't just be physical. For the children that she bears will be painful. Sinners, all of us, little ones born, even the babies we carry are sinners. This is the curse of the fall. That it won't be until next chapter that her first two children, one kills the other. Childbearing and raising children will be painful. Parenting will be tough in every matter. Parents know this as you raise your children. A great war is happening over their souls. Fill them with the knowledge of God. Pray over them and seize every moment to show them Christ. Eve will also have as her part of the curse a desire for her husband and he shall rule over her. I actually like the older reading of the ESV better here. It it just reads desire. It doesn't add um, against her husband as you see there um, in uh, a a contrary to her husband as you see in verse 16. And it sounds sounds good when you say she's going to have a desire for her husband. And in some sense it is good. We should desire our spouse, but in light of the curse, that's the section we're in. It will be mixed with impure thoughts. It will be uh, strife, fighting against each other, and a constant desire to rule over one another. The same word for desire here is understood better in its usage in in 4.7. Let me read it to you. It says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. That's the old reading of the ESV. Sin is crouching at the door. And so it will be in the heart of Eve. Sin is crouching at the door of every one of our hearts. Desire here could also mean that Eve will desire Adam as she should God. We now have a propensity in our relationships because of our heart to raise up idols in all kinds of ways. We can do it with our children. We can do it with our spouses. We can do it with the good things that God blesses us with in this life. We can do it with our ideas, our concepts. We can even do it with the things we hope for. What we do know in the curse of sin is that it has perverted everything that is good. And there will be disorder where there should be order. This is the curse of sin. And so far we've seen, so that you remember, it's no friend, enmity, pain, wrongful desires. But God isn't done showing the effect of sin. To Adam, he now says, everything for you will be painful and hard. If you want food, it will be hard to grow it. The ground is going to rebel against you. Thorns and thistles will rise up out of the ground to choke out even your hard work. To choke it off that it might die so that in the end you might die. The ground even, Adam, will rebel against you. You see that death is working its way into everything. Choking. Crushing. God says you will have food, but it will be a struggle and it won't grow like the trees that you see around you, like the trees that you hid in. The fruit won't grow like these trees. 
And God also indicates that sin wasn't just spiritual death, but it will be physical, verse 19. He came from the dust, and you will return to it. Is there anything appealing about sin? But we go on. Finally, we see the most dreadful aspect of the fall, of the curse of sin, verse 22 through 24. God bars Adam and Eve from the tree of life. That tree that promised everlasting life. And if they were to eat of it now, why restrain them from it? Wouldn't it be good just to pluck the tree of life? But if they were to eat it now, they would perpetually and always be sinners living forever under this awful and dreadful curse. So God has to send them out that they might not eat of it. And He sends them out and He sets up a flaming sword and His seraphim so that they can't enter into the garden. And then I think the most gut-wrenching part of this whole narrative, the whole story, brothers and sisters, this isn't just for your teaching. This really happened. Verse 24, He drove them out of the Garden of Eden. I mean, can you imagine walking past the fruit trees, seeing over there the tree of life, oh, the the tears that must have been on their eyes as they're driven out from the presence of God, the one who loved them and showed them mercy and grace and says, get out of my garden. You leave. And immediately, because you're going to have to eat, you have to start tilling the ground and working so that you have food to eat. That's sin's curse. And if God left us with just this reality, it would have been just. But He isn't just a God perfect in justice and judgment. He is also a God who is gracious. But first let us ask, so what? It's simple. Sin in comparison to what was before the fall is a no-brainer. There is no kindness in sin and there is no lasting fruit that makes it more appealing than what can be had in right relationship with God. Let sin be every bit as a horror as it is in this Passage. It is enmity. It is pain. It is exile. And it is death. Even when you don't sense it or feel it, it is death. It is promised. All of this has been described to you so that you might see this judgment clearly, so that you might hate with every fiber of your being sin. That the greatest thing that you could desire is what was before the fall. Right relationship with God. And just as every act of judgment was His action to take, that you might see that He is also the God who takes action and initiative in salvation from His judgment. This is found in grace. First, know your condition. It's the same condition as our first parents. And I hope that the fruit of that will make the grace of God our final point that much sweeter. God has seasoned all of this judgment with His grace. To go back to the beginning, we find that God 
as he comes into the garden, comes searching. Remember, he knows everything. And he comes searching for his people. He is a God who comes. This is, this is the, the language of, of all of the word. A God who pursues his people. Even in their sin. In fact, Scripture describes Christ as the one who is the, the shepherd that goes and looks for the, the lost sheep. He's the one who comes asking, where are you and what have you done? And so I ask you this morning as we consider grace, are you hiding in your sin? Do you fear God as judge? Have you sought to cover your sin? Have you blamed everyone else but yourself? It won't work. What is more, he tells us that Satan, this is part of his grace, will be humiliated. That he will be cast down to the dirt and shame and all those who are his children can expect the same treatment. Cursed all of his days without hope of restoration. But notice then how he graciously turns to man and woman. He tells Eve, yes, you're going to have pain in childbirth. But even this is gracious. What is he saying to her? He's telling her that there will be coming generations. There still will be children. That there's going to be some continued relationship between God and her. And there will be children that will be raised up. That the earth will still be filled with humans. That part of that gracious thing touches directly on you, brothers and sisters. For you would not be here if God wasn't gracious towards Eve here. He goes on to say to the serpent that there will be a fight a fight that will be enmity between his kingdom and the kingdom that will come from um, Eve's womb. What God is actually saying in verse 15, I, to the servant, he says, I will still have my people. It says, verse 15, he will put the enmity between them. Notice who's doing it. He will put God's action God's gracious action. God is going to do something to win back His people. And then we see that God Himself will bear the cost. One will come from Eve that will bruise the serpent's head and the one doing that crushing of that head will also bear a wound. He will raise up from the seed of mankind a Savior, Jesus Christ. This is entirely messianic satan has plundered god and god is going to plunder back with a crushing blow this is the new covenant this is the covenant of grace adam failed the covenant of works he didn't obey god as he should have and now god will act on behalf of his people and one will stand over the serpent in victory and he will place him under his foot as a footstool. And every genealogy in Scripture is to bring us along in this story, uh, narrowing the scope, driving us towards this seed, this one, so that when we come to Luke 3, what does Luke do? But he traces Christ all the way back to Adam, to the promise of Genesis 3.15, God doesn't learn. God has a plan from the beginning. 
to save his people. The woman will bear children and she is to fill the earth with those who worship God. This is the enmity between the serpent and the woman. This is the same task for us this morning. That we are to raise up generations of God-fearers. Of those who worship Christ and look to Him for salvation. And so God goes on in His gracious manner to reveal to Adam that though the work of the ground will rebel against Him, how is He gracious? You're still going to eat, Adam. I'll still give you bread to eat. And God will still be the gracious hand that provides for His people even in the sorrow of sin. Brothers and sisters, He does this for you. And you may pray for it, that God would give you your daily bread. He's gracious. He's the one you say, My Father in heaven. He, was the great, he is the gracious one who will rise to meet every need from hunger pains to spiritual pains. He promises Adam that though he sweats and toils, there will be bread, and he will sustain him even as his body begins to break down. Even as he feels this body wasting away and knows that soon it will go back to the dirt from which he was made from. Though they have died in sin spiritually, God's still going to give them life. He will even equip them for life in difficulty. Yes, He's about to send them out. And those fig leaves are not going to be enough. Whatever harsh environment they're about to go into, God is gracious. It says, verse 21, The Lord God made for them garments of skin and clothed them. Practically, He made clothes for them uh, not only for the harsh environment, but spiritually he's showing them what it takes to cover over their shame and their nakedness. Blood has to be spilled for them to make a covering. This is proto-sacrifice. It will take the blood of another to cover shame. And they had to watch an animal die to cover them. So we will see that Christ will die a bloody death in which he will cover us and new clothes. Adam will understand grace. I think he does. As you see in verse 20, he names his wife Eve, the mother of the living. I think this is Adam's repentance. He has accepted both that the curse of sin is upon him, that he indeed is a sinner, but he reads or hears Genesis 3.15 and goes, but one is coming who will defeat Satan and God has wrapped me in clothes. Brothers and sisters, He does this for us in robes of righteousness. That God co covers over our nakedness and our shame and our sin. That He robes us in clothes of righteousness. As 1 Corinthians says, that we will put off these perishable bodies of death and be robed in imperishable bodies of immortality. He will even undo death, this gracious God, so that Paul can say that Christ's action has both crushed the serpent and will destroy the last enemy, he says, which is death. And what is more, Christ will not drive us away, but usher us back into the new heavens and the new earth where He will, instead of 
driving us out, call us in. And in the midst of the street will be a tree of life with its leaves and its fruit for the healing of the nations. That no longer will there be shame and despair and enmity. The battle will be over and His people will be ushered back into a garden. Amen? This is held before you by a gracious and loving God. Yes, there are indeed consequences of sin. And you could never hide them or cover them or flee from God. You can only come to Him with open hands. Yes, naked and exposed and say, God, be gracious. He always will be.